0: About seven o'clock, so let's go ahead and
1: get started. Welcome everybody to the Thursday, July 1, 2020 formal meeting of the Iowa City Planning and Zoning Commission um, for that's uh, called order for the roll call. Maria, welcome. Maria, is your last, how do you say your last name is Padron?
0: Yes, Padron.
1: All right, well, welcome. Um, I see Hinch, Martin, Sines, Townsend, Padron, and Craig, is Mark there? He just joined. All right. Mark is
2: here. Mark Nolte is here as well.
1: All right. So Mark signs in. Mark Nolte. So we have a full house. So a roll call is completed. Next item up is election of officers. So which office would anybody like to start with?
3: Some reason missed that on the agenda. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> you didn't
1: I, read very I'd like I to nomin-
4: I'd like to nominate Mark Sines as president.
3: Oh heavens.
5: <laughs> or Chief. Uh, I,
3: would, I would love to nominate Mike Henge to continue to serve as chairman. I'll second that motion.
5: Uh,
1: which motion are you seconding there? Kate? <laughs> oh
5: Mark. <laughs> Mark to make my the Mike, stay put. All right. Okay. I can go with that. All
1: right. Thank you. So we have a motion and second. Uh, for Hinch for chair is any discussion.
4: I think you do a fabulous job. I've been very impressed. And I should at least get to see you once in like real action at a real meeting. So
3: it's i, I going happen it. soon. <laughs> and I'm and I'm here for five more years, so there's always a second chance.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I got four left. Don't wait. Do I four three something like that? <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, do people want a roll call or just by acclamation for these officer positions? I I, I would move acceptance. Down. I would move acceptance by acclamation. Okay, um, all those in favor, signify by saying aye.
4: Aye. Aye.
1: Those opposed, signify by saying nay. Foolishly hearing no nays, the ayes have it. Um, now we go to vice chair.
4: I would nominate Mark as vice chair.
1: And, uh, so science. Craig for nomination for science. I'll second that motion. Any other nominations? Discussion. Hearing none. All those in favor of uh, electing Mark Signs as vice as vice chair, signify by saying aye. "aye." Aye. Aye. Those opposed, signify by saying "nay." Hearing no nays. Mark Signs is on again. Secretary.
3: Who is our current secretary?
1: Our current secretary is uh, Phoebe Martin. I think she's done a stellar job, so I'll make a motion for Phoebe Martin. For
3: those second. of you who
1: don't know, the secretary's job is probably the easiest of everybody's because
3: the staff <laughs> takes a minutes. <laughs>
6: I will second that motion.
1: Uh, second by Nolte. Any other nominations? Any other nominations? Discussion? All those in favor of Martin for secretary signify by saying aye. 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 Those opposed signify by saying nay. Hearing no nays, the ayes have it. Martin is secretary again for the upcoming year. Um, item number four, public discussion of any item not on the agenda. If there's any member of the public that would like to address the Planning and Zoning Commission an item mm-hmm. not on the agenda now is your opportunity. please make yourself known. The easiest way is just by raising your hand electronically from the toolbar at the bottom of the screen. If you're a member of the public, under the reactions icon. <clears throat> Last call for public comment. Seeing none, we'll move on to item number five. The first development item or the only development item tonight is case numbers VAC20-0003. The applicant is Gilbane Development Company. Location is right of way adjacent to 220 Lafayette Street. This is an application submitted for a vacation of approximately 0.14 acres of public right of
7: way. And Kirk, is this yours? I'll be taking this one tonight, Chair. I never get it right. Hi, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ray Heitner, Neighborhood and Development Services. If I can get my PowerPoint to get going here. <clears throat> Keys aren't working right now, hmm. pardon me.
2: Ray, do you want me to try to bring it up? Do you, Can you see the arrows at the bottom of your screen? Yeah, I got it. Okay, okay. great.
7: Can everyone see the presentation?
2: Yeah. Yes.
7: Okay, great. And how's my volume? <laughs> Good. Okay, thank you. I'm using my wife's computer. Mm-hmm. So yes, um, as was stated, uh, The proposed item tonight is a uh, vacation of approximately 0.14 acres of public right-of-way between the 700 block of South Dubuque Street and um, 220 Lafayette Street. So here is an aerial view of the uh, subject right-of-way outlined in the uh, white dash. Here's the uh, zoning applied. you can see kind of on both sides of the subject right away, it's uh, riverfront crossings, uh, central crossing zone. <clears throat> so, uh, some background on this proposed vacation. Um, some of you might remember that in December of 2020, uh, rezoning for the adjacent properties came before this commission uh, to. RFC Central Crossing Zone um, that was recommended for approval by this commission and ultimately uh, approved by City Council in February of 2021. Um, at the time of the rezoning, it was um, sort of understood that the next step uh, in this development process would be to kind of vacate the alley in between um, kind of the, the two blocks that currently exist in this area. So Um, That's the application that's here for you tonight. Um, Kind of a a reminder, uh, some of the review criteria that staff looks at for these vacations. um, We'll go into each of these in a little bit more detail, but impact on pedestrian and vehicular access, um, impact on emergency and utility vehicle access and circulation, um, impact on adjacent private properties, Uh, the desirability of the right-of-way for access and circulation needs, uh, locations of utilities and other easements, and then just kind of any other relevant factors. Um, So starting off with impact on pedestrian and vehicular access. um, So the alley does not contain any uh, kind of formal pedestrian means of access. Um, There is kind of an a sidewalk interior to the building at 220 Lafayette, which I'll show you in just a second, but um, not something that you know we would consider a formal means of pedestrian access. Um, the alley is kind of needed uh, for vehicular circulation for some parking that you can um, see here, kind of north of the 220 Lafayette um, building that can only be accessed through the alley um, and here, you might be able to see kind of that sort of internal sidewalk I was talking about. And then here's another overhead view. There's some more parking kind of east of this 700 block here, which is only accessed through this alley. So, um, you know, it it is an important alley as the properties are currently situated in terms of um, getting that kind of rear parking access. In terms of uh, impact on emergency and utility vehicle access. um, So the alley is necessary Uh, in terms of meeting fire code right now, there's a a section in the um, international fire code that requires a a certain distance between a street um, and and essentially an exterior of a building has to be within 150 feet of Uh, What's termed as a fire apparatus access road and so um, right now there is sort of an implication for fire access for having that alley intact or at least having access to that alley in place. Um, There's also some gas and electric service lines kind of on the the east side of the alley. Um, So, uh, I'll discuss this a little bit more but a utility easement will be needed. retention of those utilities until the adjacent properties are are vacated and the utility is no longer used. In terms of access, uh, impact on access of adjacent private properties, um, you know, as was kind of just mentioned, the alley is sort of paramount to vehicular access for the kind of existing block makeup. Um, That said, uh, the sort of 700 south block of Dubuque Street and 220 Lafayette um, do have frontage onto um, those streets. Um, So from a pedestrian standpoint, there is um, access from those streets right now. Um, The proposed right-of-way vacation won't impact um, access to any other uh, properties outside of kind of the subject assemblage. In terms of uh, desirability of the right-of-way for access or um, circulation needs, uh, this was discussed a little bit more during the rezoning stage several months back. But um, the applicant intends to kind of redevelop this entire block. um, And in doing so, um, the alley, as as currently constituted, um, won't really become necessary anymore. Uh, With respect to location of utilities and other easements or restrictions on the property. um, I mentioned that there's uh, gas and electric utilities kind of along the the east side of the alley. Uh, There's also a city sanitary sewer main um, that runs beneath the alley. Uh, One of the conditions of the rezoning um, of the property on both sides of the alley was that that sewer main would have to be relocated in a a location um, approved by the city engineer. Um, So ultimately, uh, easements for all of these utilities will uh, need to be retained. Um, And and the applicant will also have to establish new easement areas upon redevelopment of the property. So a a couple other relevant factors, there are three different owners of um, the properties east and west of the, the subject right of way. Um, and so, uh, in staff's view, it is easier to um, sort of wait to convey the alley to the applicant um, until they're title holder of all these adjacent properties. So in summary, staff is recommending uh, approval of the vacation of the alley contingent upon uh, retention of an access easement uh, for for general uh, access as well as uh, fire access, Um, private utility easement um, for those gas and electric utilities, and then also a sanitary sewer easement for as long as the adjacent properties are occupied. kind of just in in closing here somewhat, um, while the alley currently serves as an important corridor for traffic circulation utilities, um, it won't be necessary for traffic or utilities in the applicant's upcoming redevelopment plans. So in terms of next steps, uh, pending uh, this commission's recommendation, uh, the proposed vacation would be reviewed by city council uh, where they will discuss you know, not only the vacation at hand, but also uh, the conveyance of the land with respect to the applicant's proposal for fair market value. And with that, staff uh, recommends approval of VAC 20-0003 vacation of the Block 18 County State addition public alley right of way adjacent to 220 Lafayette Street, uh, subject to a utility easement, access easement, and sanitary sewer easement as described uh, in the staff report, um, and in forms approved by the city attorney's office. And that concludes my presentation. Thank you Ray.
1: um, any member, any question for members of the commission for staff on this vacation item, hey, Ray, I I just, oh, go ahead.
4: I don't understand why the staff recommendation doesn't make mention of the stipulation that the land won't be conveyed until all the property is owned by one person, one entity. Why isn't that in the sta- in the formal staff recommendation?
7: Um I mean that that is something that we can put in the commission recommendation to the city council. Um you know, I I don't know if we typically include those details on conveyance and sort of the staff recommendation here but i mean if if that's something that the commission wants to include in its formal recommendation to the council that we can certainly do that
4: well i don't don't want to break with tradition but it just seems like if the city council approves it who are you going to sell it to if there's three different people that own the property i don't know
8: i mean the the conveyance aspect of it um you know is Kind of a separate process and we do have a purchase agreement that we have executed with them so that part is being addressed uh in a different context it's sort of a parallel line someplace okay. right
0: right i just wanted to explain thank you
1: sure not that it's relevant to this particular item i'm just curious of how the fair market value is determined do you do, does the city just hire an appraiser I, I presume that's what it is i'm just curious
8: We did not get an appraisal in this instance. Typically, we go off of the uh, assessed value of the adjacent land, or if there's a recent purchase agreement um, that would indicate probably better than than anything what the fair market value is, um, assuming it's um, an arm's length transaction. uh, We often consider that in determining what at least uh, administratively we think is acceptable.
1: Thank you. Any other questions for members of the commission for staff on this vacation item? Hearing none, we'll go ahead and open the public hearing. If there's a, let's see, well, there wouldn't be an applicant. Yeah, there would be. Um, Any uh, applicant or applicants representative would like to speak on this vacation request? see you mike but i don't hear you okay um i don't see me but i hopefully you can I see your me. name i should correct <laughs>
6: that <clears throat> um so yes mike welch with axiom consultants we're uh representing gilbane development uh, mike apt from gilbane development is also on the call i believe tonight um and we uh, i guess i think ray kind of covered the the kind of the highlights or the the important parts of that alley vacation I figured we could just give you a little update on uh, where the the project that you saw during rezoning where that sits and then if you have questions be happy to answer them. Um, as far as project status we've been working with staff on a level one design review for height bonus of um, up to six six floors and we're nearing completion on that I think we just have a couple loose ends to tie up as far as a maintenance agreement and just work through a couple um minor items related to that height bonus uh site plan has been submitted and we received our first round of review comments from city staff and we've um responded to and resubmitted that plan so we're feeling we're on track there as far as having a a project that staff can approve both height bonus and site plan for with um the goal of still starting construction yet this year on that that new building there and um and as, as Ray kind of indicated, their easements are in place to kind of cover the gap between when it's conveyed and when when those um, those other bi- buildings are taken down and that stuff. So um, with that, I don't know, Mike, if you had anything you wanted to add or if a staff or if any commission members have questions, I'd be happy to answer those. Any,
1: any questions from members of the commission for Mr. Welter apt? I don't believe so. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is, is there any <laughs> member of the public who'd like to speak on this particular application? Now's your opportunity. This is a public hearing. Any member of the public like to speak on this application? Now's your opportunity. Second, second call. And seeing no one's hand raised, let me check through here. And do you see anybody?
2: No, I don't.
1: All right, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing. We move um, approval. A motion. Uh, Mark Nolte. Motion by Nolte. Is there a second? Second. Second by Martin. So mo- on a motion by Mark Nolte and a second by Nar- Martin. I cannot speak <laughs> tonight. Uh, discussion.
6: Just glad to hear the project's moving forward, and sounds good.
1: Any other discussion from anybody? I would agree. It seems like a logical uh, step in order to get that block redeveloped,
3: and I'm sure they will have come with come with to to
1: us with something amazing to look at. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it because it, it looks like kind of a difficult lot with uh, railroad tracks to the north and Ralston Creek to the east. So uh, I'm very interested well, to see what comes.
4: So, what happens if they can't purchase all that other property? I mean, I it's it's not a given that it's theirs.
1: Uh, well, then, if they can't purchase it, then uh, the no, the title won't be conveyed. Okay. So,
4: just just any, a thought.
1: Oh, I agree. Yes. Any other discussion? No. Any no further discussion and roll call.
2: Townsend, yes. Craig, yes. Hench? aye. Martin, aye. Nolte, aye. Padrone, aye. Signs, aye.
1: Uh, motion is approved 7 0. Next item up on the agenda. This is under comprehensive plan and zoning code amendment items item number six presentation on the proposed South District Plan amendment CPA 21-0001 to facilitate the adoption of form based zones and standards REZ 21-0005. Is this you Ann?
2: Yes good evening Ann Russett with Neighborhood and Development Services. Uh, Kirk and I will jointly be presenting this item. As the chair mentioned, this is gonna be the first of many presentations on the proposed South District form-based code. And this, is, this slide just shows you our plan for the presentation tonight. I'm gonna to provide an overview of the work that we've done um, so far and how we got to this point, discuss the planning process, give you a very high level summary of the proposed amendments share some examples of the types of neighborhoods that this code could produce, and then provide some justifications for the amendments. Then I'm gonna hand it over to Kirk and he is going to provide a summary, a more detailed summary of the draft code. We're not going to go through all of it tonight. We're gonna go through about half of it. And then we will discuss next steps. In terms of project uh, the project background, we initiated this project back in January of 2019 when we executed a contract with Opticos Design. They're an urban design firm out of Berkeley, California. And to really to start developing this form-based code, um, we've been working very closely since January of 2019 with Tony Perez and Martin Galendez on this on this code. I just want to recognize Martine. He's on the call tonight. Um, And they put a lot of work into this code as has Kirk most recently. The the goals of the project are to implement the vision of the comprehensive plan, particularly the South District plan. We want to create neighborhoods that are safe for pedestrians, encourage walking. We wanna preserve environmental resources and create communities that have a highly interconnected street network. And then we also want to allow a variety of housing types so our residents have more choices and a variety of price points. And then the goal is to apply this code to other greenfields and other undeveloped areas of the city. So this is kind of our starting point and we expect that it will expand to other areas over time. Here's the area that we're looking at to start with. This is within the South District, you can see here, uh, Weatherby Park is kind of the northern boundary, Alexander Elementary School's in the middle, Gilbert Street is on the west, and then Sycamore Greenway is on the east side of the, the planning area. In terms of the planning process, you could say that this started back in 2015 with the adoption of the South District Plan After that plan was adopted, city staff had um, worked toward different ways of implementing that vision. And the first uh, project that they worked on was a project direction report, which is kind of phase one of this project where the city worked with Opticos to assess the feasibility of implementing a form-based code. And as part of that process, there was a lot of stakeholder outreach, community workshops and a visual preference survey. And some of the input that we got from that planning process back in 2017 is that the community saw a need for small neighborhood centers in the South District. They wanted to see a strong network of trails and parks. They saw that the community needed different housing options, including missing middle housing, better street connectivity, traffic calming, and the opportunity for people to age in place. And I mentioned missing middle housing, and you can see the the graphic at the bottom of the screen, which was created by Opticos, to to help visualize and help explain what missing middle house missing middle housing is. And it's basically everything between detached single fa- housing at one end, detached single family, to mid-rise or larger scale apartments. So everything in between those two scales is missing middle. So we have duplexes, four, three and four unit buildings, we have courtyard apartments, townhomes, that type of thing. So the goal of this code is to allow more of those housing types. So after that was completed, we started with, with, which, with phase two, which is the development of the draft code. Um, <clears throat> as part of that, we worked with another consulting group that prepared a residential market study to examine whether or not missing middle housing um, whether or not there was a market for missing middle housing in the South District. And the short answer is yes, the study did conclude there is a market. And so since that time, we've been doing stakeholder outreach, developing the draft. In 2019, we actually released an initial draft of the code. After staff released that draft, we did more stakeholder outreach, got comments, met with uh, stakeholders to get to explain the draft, to get feedback. And then For almost the past year, we've been working on revising that draft based on comments that we've received and um, making sure that it can work within our existing city processes related to land development, so the the revised draft was released just a couple weeks ago. And this chart just shows a summary of stakeholder outreach that we've done since the beginning of the project. We've met with community members, affordable housing advocates, um, property owners, developers, home builders association, a variety of different groups throughout the process. And what we heard from developers and landowners is that the development process is often lengthy and uncertain. (laughs) And if the new process is more predictable, more regulation would be acceptable. There was also some concern that the market wouldn't support missing middle housing. But there was also a need that there was a need for more choices and more affordable housing. There was also some concerns with the plan's um, goal of creating single loaded streets along open spaces and green areas. From the community, we heard that they see the open space in this area as an amenity. There was some concern about development near existing neighborhoods There was an expectation that any development would be high quality development. And they also recognize the need for housing that is both affordable and accessible. So that's kind of a summary of the process. Next, I'd like to jump into a summary of the proposed amendments. So there is a kind of a two parts to to these amendments. The first is an amendment to the comprehensive plan and specifically the South District plan. Uh, staff feels that the form based code that we'll be discussing tonight does align with the existing South District plan. What we are proposing are some amendments to more explicitly link the comprehensive plan to the proposed code, so we are proposing some new new goals and some new objectives. One of the more major changes that we're proposing is the map here that you see at the right. Um, So this would be the new future land use map for this area. We're proposing new land use descriptions and the map itself that directly align with the new new zones. And the reason that we're doing this is that this is really necessary to allow missing middle to allow more of a diversity of housing types. Um, it's important that we have land use designations that are clear that that there's a diversity of housing types that are allowed and it also creates options for neighborhood commercial centers which uh, or just neighborhood centers in general which which could be commercial or could be an open space area in terms of the zoning code amendments i'm just going to give a high level summary of some of the, the more Big changes that we're proposing with the zoning code amendments. The first is that a mix of building types will be required. So every block must have A mix of building types. For example, if you have a block that has eight lots, not all eight lots can be single family, you could have seven lots that are single family, but one would need to be something different like a duplex. We're also requiring a mix of frontage types so this could be a porch or a stoop there's a variety of different frontage types that could be selected by the developer and this is to ensure that there's a diversity and that there's visual interest and it within the streetscape and that there's not um, monotony in the building design in terms of parking alleys are only required in the main street area Um, but parking must be set back from the front facade of the building In terms of the amount of parking that the code requires, it is slightly lower than our current zoning code. Carriage houses. Carriage houses in the proposed code are allowed with most building types. So carriage houses are also referred to as granny flats or accessory dwelling units or accessory apartments. They are typically in in the city now seen with uh, Associated with a single family home, but this code would allow them with a town home or with a duplex. So there's going to be more, more allowances to incorporate this housing type. Street trees will be required to be planted within the public right-of-way. Also, block lengths will be reduced to ensure a highly interconnected street network. The draft code also includes several civic space types which are defined and the locations are identified on the future land use map. And lastly, actually not lastly, I think I have another slide. Um, We have incorporated regulatory incentives for developers who are providing um, affordable housing. So if a developer is voluntarily providing affordable housing through low-income housing tax credits or some other funding source, Um, They could seek out height bonus or different um, flexibility or waivers from development standards. Lastly, we've created a new term which is called design sites. And the image on the right um, hopefully helps explain what this means. So right here, this is an existing lot. And this could be a design site. But you could also have this lot have three separate design sites. And we've incorporated this to provide some flexibility because once you have a platted lot, it can be difficult to make adjustments to the dimensions of that lot. With the design site, they can be administratively, um, the the width and the size can be administratively changed. Lastly, the code also includes minimum and maximum depth and width standards for these design sites. Currently, our code just has minimum, minimum dimensional standards and minimum lot sizes. And we're proposing maximums and this will will help to ensure more compact development. So these slides provide some examples of what this type of code could produce. We're looking to produce pedestrian friendly areas that are easy to walk in, that are safe to walk in. Um, You can see there's lots of porches and frontages that are uh, fronting and uh, facing the street and you don't see a lot of garages. These are gonna be typically house scale buildings. So even though some of these housing types and building types will allow multiple units, they're still in scale with the existing single family. For example, this building down here on the bottom right-hand corner, I believe has eight or 12 units in it, but it's still um, comparable to the scale of a single family home. And then it will incorporate a small Main Street area. In terms of our justifications for the proposed amendments, our current zoning code provides limited flexibility. It tends to lead development to separating land uses and limiting the mix of land uses. There is some flexibility allowed through the uh, plan development overlay rezoning process, and our code does allow accessory dwelling units Um, with single-family homes. It also allows duplexes on corner lots, but just allowing these uses within these zones hasn't resulted in in mixing those types or seeing a lot of duplexes or accessory dwelling units being built. Also zoning regulations have historically been used to segregate communities through single-family zoning, um, through creating minimum lot sizes, through only allowing single-family. Currently, our zoning map in the residential areas, 81% of our residential land is zoned single-family. And conventional zoning results in auto-oriented development. Um, Residents need to rely on cars, more land is consumed. And the city has goals to address climate change, to address equity issues. So the goal of this code is to create a more sustainable community and more equitable community. And it it does that by allowing a wider variety of housing types, providing more housing choices and a variety of price points. It requires a mix of building types. You can't just build all single family. It includes incentives for developing affordable housing. It ensures that streets are connected and neighborhoods are are and the neighborhoods are connected. Um, it creates neighborhood nodes either by identifying areas, centers of uh, communities that would be a small commercial area or open space, and it ensures more compact development. So that is that is the overview. I'd like to turn it over now to Kirk.
9: Thanks, Ann. I get to go over the nuts and bolts of the code, so bear with me because we are reviewing a zoning code after all. So it's uh, it can be complicated. Feel free to ask questions if you have them along the way. Um, But the way that we figured that we'd structure it is by going section by section. Since you have access to the draft code currently, Um, I did want to show where you can see it just very very briefly uh, on the website. Um, So if you go to uh, form-based zones and standards, uh, it would be this URL. This is being recorded so you can see this and go to that or you can uh, contact one of the planning staff, but you can find uh, the codes right here and all the appendixes. So these are the codes that we're talking about. I just wanted to make sure that you know where to look for those if you're interested. In terms of the regulations themselves, we're organized by going through the code. So we are starting uh with the first section, which is that introduction. So this is really the part that talks about the intent, like Anne, and, and Anne briefly discussed. It talks about um, briefly about the zoning districts and how this code applies with other sections of the code, uh, but it also talks about the process. So it talks about how rezonings are slightly different, how subdivisions would be slightly different, and the neighborhood plan, which is a new component uh, of this as well. So in terms of intent, You know, like I said, Ann had already gone through this a little bit already, so I just want to point out, uh, reiterate a couple things again. You know, the point is to improve the built environment, supporting multimodal transportation options and reducing vehicle traffic. You know, we want a variety of housing types, levels of affordability and accessibility, health and sustainability, focus on pedestrian-scaled neighborhoods uh, that reinforce the unique characteristics of Iowa City. So all of this is done uh, to also promote walkable neighborhoods. The way that the code is organized is a little different than our conventional zoning code. So our conventional one is based along use. So you think of, you know, we have our residential single family zones, we have our residential multifamily zones, we have our commercial zones. Uh, this is focused or organized more around a transect concept, uh, which looks at the spectrum from urban to rural, and it gives them a number for each of those. So. T1 is the natural area, uh, T6 is the urban core downtown. So if you look at it as it applies to Iowa City, um, you can see that you know we have rural, we have T1 areas, natural areas. Uh, we also have uh, T6 areas uh, downtown. You see the Jefferson Building, some of those uh, historic landmarks downtown. Now, this part of town, the South District, is generally suburban in nature, so we really are only looking at those T3 and T4 uh, transects, um, so those would be suburban for T3 and urban for T4, uh, which is lower scale, you know, buildings don't really get over generally two to three stories, maybe they get up to four stories in the Main Street area. So those are the the sorts of transects that we're looking at. I'll talk about this a bit more once we get into the actual zoning districts themselves. So moving on to process then, the way that this code works, uh, we wanted to make sure that it fits into our existing processes, that we're not creating new ways of doing things, but that we just enhance the ways that we do things currently to try and and improve them to, to reach these goals. So the first step, of course, would be rezoning, rezoning to a form-based zone. It's a standard zoning code map amendment, like you would do if you were rezoning to a different zone. Uh, we do recommend that it is done concurrently with a preliminary plat because the zoning standards are tied into lot sizes and all of those sorts of things. Uh, and with the future land use map, it is a lot more detailed. So it's hard to just blanket zone a whole area to be, you know, like we often see RS5, the the low density residential single family zone. You can't really do that in this case, unless you already have some engineering done in advance. So we do recommend that it goes with a preliminary plat. Uh, As far as the staff review then and and the planning and zoning commission review, there are specific criteria that are included in that rezoning. And this is to try and provide some certainty to both developers and to the community uh, as to how, how things can develop in this area. So first and foremost, and Ann touched on this briefly, uh, it has to comply with the future land use map, uh, and and I'll go through that in a second again. Uh, but there are some some situations where it can be changed, uh, and those are specifically laid out in the code. So if sensitive areas are present or present, maybe you can modify how that looks. Or alternatively, if circumstances have changed or something comes to light, you know that it's in the public interest to change how it looks, then you could incorporate that into your rezoning and change what is on that future land use map. Uh, The other criteria are tied to responding appropriately appropriately to site conditions. For example, making sure that more intense zones are organized around neighborhood features. Uh, Also, making sure that transitions between neighborhood form-based zones uh, make sense. So you don't want two different zones looking at each other across the street. Instead, you want that to happen across a block or uh, across an alley if you can, Uh, and then also make sure that the design of the sites suits the unique topographical environmental site layout, other constraints that might be there. Um, so these would be the criteria that we would look at during rezonings to try and say, yes, this makes sense. And if it pretty much matches the future land use map, uh, those are the different criteria that we use use to make it. Uh, and so if it, if it matches the future land use map, then it should match those other criteria as well. Now, when you get into the subdivision process, uh, we basically uh, make it a little more enhanced. I would consider it a more detailed preliminary plat. So for example, we show certain things that are not on current preliminary plats, such as design sites, thoroughfare types, uh, civic spaces, and building types. Uh, There is also some additional notation about the possible administrative changes that can be made. Uh, And then it should also abide by the new standards that are part of this code Uh, for parcel size, street size, layout, block size. uh, Some of those changes are incorporated into the subdivision code rather than in the zoning code. Uh, In addition, for the final plat, when you're actually laying out the parcels, then uh, there is an additional submittal that would come with that called the neighborhood plan, which is very similar to what the preliminary plat has, but you're updating it to reflect any changes that have happened since then and you're adding in frontage type standards as well. So again, these are all things that I'll kind of talk about in a bit, but in a nutshell, every design site should have a building type, a frontage type, um, and then streets would correspond to a thoroughfare type and open spaces would correspond to a civic space type. So really a lot of it is categorizing different uses and different the, the form of the physical environment uh, and applying it on individual parcels. Uh, as development happens, then uh, it would follow that neighborhood plan. That would be submitted with the final, uh, with the final plat. There would be an opportunity for administrative changes. So, for example, design sites may be modified, as Ann had noted. Uh, you can swap out buildings, building types, frontage types, civic space types, as long as it meets the underlying standards. So, for example, a duplex requires a larger lot, but if you had a single-family lot and say, hey, it would fit a duplex. We think that a duplex is more appropriate for this location. You'd be able to administratively change that. Um, But again, for those changes to happen, all other other development standards would have to be met as well. So that's how the process works. It's basically a more detailed version of of the current process, like I said.
4: I have a question. Yeah. When you see the areas here that are developed, the new plan will will it apply to the already developed areas as well? So say that little development across from the school, if someone bought two houses that sit together that were in bad condition and tore them down, could they put a fourplex there?
9: No, all, all existing properties, you'll notice on this map, the yeah. existing properties do not have a designation. They would just stay under their own designation. And a lot of these are frankly in the county still. And this doesn't mean that, you know, they have to annex now or anything. It, all it means is that in the future, this is what we expect development to look like around the existing properties.
4: Okay, so so it's just these empty streets here that are in the area. I can't, I'm having a hard time looking at the map deciding what the area is. Now that
9: you said. Yeah, so so I was going to talk a bit about that. Okay. This, this right. is that detailed future land use map that Anne had showed briefly. Right. It doesn't have street names, which isn't super helpful. But if you look here, you can see McAllister Avenue kind of goes right through the right. heart of it. That was the most recent extension that just got made. This is South Gilbert Street on the west. Uh, you have Lehman Road down here on the south that will eventually curve around. You have Sycamore Street that goes right here and would continue on south end. And if you know Soccer Park Road, if you've ever been out of the soccer park, that's this this sort of curvy road right there. So that's kind of the area that we're talking about. This is an existing golf course right here on the southwest side of the property. You have the school, Alexander School right here. Uh, And then you have, for example, Weatherby Park up here on the north. So that's the area that we're really looking at. Um, And this this is the Sand Hill, Sandhill Prairie that the city maintains as well.
4: And what are those red lines? Is that the alleys? I was having a hard time with the red line. That one, there's one that follows Gilbert, right and then there's one behind those houses on McAllister, which is
9: sort yep. of. So, so those are alleys, and I really just wanted to show this to say you can tell that it's a more detailed land use map than a lot of our greenfield sites on current maps just show it as low low density residential. There's not a lot of distinction in what that means, not a lot of description in what that means. So this is that more detailed version. I will go through every element of this as I'm going through individual code sections to kind of explain it because it is a lot to look at right now. And so the biggest component is most of it is zones. Some of it is open space. Some of it is, there's a different map for thoroughfare types, but this shows alleys. So I would say bear with me for now as I talk about what the colors mean later. Okay, but
6: you said
9: ask questions, so I did. I, I do appreciate that. I just want to give you a heads up that okay. <laughs> some of this will be covered. So just to summarize that that process section, it really is, I guess, a beefed up or slightly modified version of our regular development process. And again, those purposes are really to balance that upfront certainty and the developmental flexibility. So on the upfront certainty side, rezonings are based on approval criteria. So it gives more certainty uh, that things would follow that form-based or the future land use map. Uh, and what that means is actually defined in this case. And there are enhanced plans that get submitted, uh, including you know the neighborhood plan, the preliminary plats uh, are more detailed than other versions that we currently have. But on the development flexibility side, there's an opportunity for administrative changes later on. So even though there is more detail up front, they can come back and change it if it still meets the different provisions of the code. Um, And this really does offer a much broader variety of, of missing middle housing types that Anne has talked about. So that brings us to the zones which is that the second section uh, of the code. The the first two subsections are really tied to the purpose and it describes subzones. The bulk of it is really just going through the individual zone standards. So I'll mostly be focusing on those individual zone standards themselves. And I'll talk briefly about the subzone as well. In terms of the palette of zoning districts.
5: Kurt, can I ask a question? This is Phoebe. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, can you go back one slide please so in the yeah right there in that you're talking you know we're looking at these uh, proposed zones um, and you're talking about connectivity walkability etc I'm not seeing any neighborhood commercial in here is that something that's going to be addressed later or is that um, are you leaving that out
9: so, neighborhood commercial is incorporated through the subzone uh, because, like I said, we're we're regulating by building type, not by use, and so it's not going to be specifically labeled a commercial zone. The commercial zones are going to be the sub, the open subzone, and then the main street zone would also allow. So
5: you could have a neighborhood grocery store on the
9: corner, in in certain locations, and with certain building types.
5: Okay, thank you.
9: So again, with the palliative zoning districts, again, we're talking T3 and T4, so that's that suburban uh, and urban primarily. There is also T1, but it's not a separate zone necessarily. It's more just the open space zones. So really when you're looking at T1 zones, you're not gonna see it on the map. It's not its own zone, but it is reflected through those natural areas that are located on the future land use map. and Uh, It's basically nature or it's open space is what you'll see for T1. When you get to T3, neighborhood edge, this is the the least dense zone. As we go up, we'll go up in in density slash intensity, but it doesn't really regulate density in the same way as other areas because you're more focused on the building types, how they lay out with the street, how they interact with each other, and and then the form uh, is what really guides it, which is why it's called a form-based zone. So in the T3 neighborhood edge, really you're looking at house scale detached buildings. Uh, They're approximately two and a half stories. You could expect occupied attics. You can expect walkout basements. Uh, Half stories are not something that our zoning code currently identifies. Um, So this is a different sort of way of looking at height. It does include height standards, but it also includes stories as one of its, its measures of height. In terms of the the housing types that you could expect to see in this zone or the building types, uh, you're looking at a house building type, you're looking at duplexes, you're looking at cottage courts. So in some ways, uh, it's similar to, for example, the RS5 or the RS8 zone, uh, but it is a little less restrictive in what those look like. And instead of regulating what a duplex might look like through provisional zoning criteria, we regulate it through the building type standards. So that'll be in, in, in our presentation in two weeks. But this is the lowest uh, intensity zone, uh, and it would be the most spread out, the lowest uh, density generally. The T3 neighborhood general would be a step up from that. This is the higher intensity of those suburban zones. Again, you're looking at two and a half stories, occupied attic, walkout basements, house-scale detached buildings. Oh, I would like to point out that the illustrations uh, do reflect what the what the zone would allow to be built. So I would just like to state that up front. I'm not gonna really describe them in any way, but you can look at them and they're in the, the code as well. Uh, going back to T3 neighborhood general. When you're looking at building types, this allows a broader variety of, of building types than are allowed in the neighborhood edge. So you're really looking at, again, houses, duplexes, cottage courts, but this adds in small-scale multifamily uh, and townhomes as well. So multifamily could be up to six units, townhomes could be up to a row of three units. So it's somewhat across, if you're looking at our existing zones, it's similar to probably the RS-12, RM-12 zone, um, but it doesn't allow large-scale multifamily and there are limits on the size that that the building that, for example, a multiplex could be. Uh, the building type specifically is called multiplex small. Uh, again, that will be covered in the building types section. but it's a little more intense, uh still relatively low density. As we get into the the transect four, this is the the urban zones. Uh, the neighborhoods small. Again, it's still two and a half stories, so it's the same height. This is house scale detached with some attached buildings. Again, occupied attics, walkout basements. These were a lot of the pictures, especially that Anne was showing where you have some larger units, but they blend in with, with house scale buildings, and so they don't look out of place in a residential neighborhood. Building types here, you're looking at cottage courts, multiplexes, again, small multiplexes. You can get up to courtyard buildings, which have up to 16 units. You can have townhouses in rows of up to eight, but you're still looking at house scale buildings generally. Um, so they won't occupy an entire block. It won't. You're not going to have the Chauncey in these in these uh, zones. So I would say it's similar to an RM20, but the difference is that with the way the building types are defined, there are maximum building sizes, and so you're not going to end up with. You know, a block sized apartment complex because the building types as they are constructed prevent that. And the T4 neighborhood medium, this is where you start to get into uh, larger units. So you're looking at three and a half stories here. Um, again, that would be an occupied attic. They are still primarily house scale buildings, larger house scale, you would say, but they're house scale. And then there would be some block scale attached. In uh, detached buildings uh, as well. So you can tell by the pictures, I mean, obviously it's a more intense zone. You have more multi or larger multiplexes up to 12 units, courtyard buildings up to 16 units, and the townhouses stay up to, up to a row of eight units. So again, I say it's similar to an RM44, but you're not gonna get a building with more than 16 dwelling units and those buildings have maximum sizes again. Uh, but you might get some block-scale buildings in this, and they can be up to three stories. And then the main street uh, is the T4. This is the most intense zone. Uh, It allows the broadest variety of uses. Uh, They allow up to four stories. They are block-scale buildings. There are attached buildings. So you can have up to 24 townhouses. Uh, Courtyard building can have up to 24 buildings, and main street buildings are unrestricted. So you would expect that this would be the, the neighborhood focal points, so to speak. And you can tell by, by looking at the images that they are denser attached buildings. This is what you would expect in a traditional main street, say in your town of 5,000 people. Now, one of the other ways that, you know, commercial uses are accommodated are through sub zones. So this is a Uh, They they work with the T3 Neighborhood General, the T4 Neighborhood Small, and the T4 Neighborhood Medium Zones. Uh, It would just be designated T3 ngo instead of T3 NG. And in those zones, there are additional flexibility for uses that would be allowed. And basically, that means that it allows more non-residential uses. Um, So in the neighborhood or on the future land use map, and I'll go through kind of where all these zones are in the future land use map in a second. But they tend to be at the neighborhood centers that we would like to see as a walkable area. It could be childcare, it could be commercial, it could be uh, what have you. But it's a, it's a broader variety that is allowed in those open sub So as we look at the map, again, it's, it's a little overwhelming right now. So I'm gonna go through item by item and show where these are. We're gonna start with the T3 neighborhood edge. These are generally placed next to existing development so you'll see it just south of the existing development that's currently uh, along Langenberg you'll see it up north. Um, you'll see it around the school and around the existing uh, county subdivisions that are there, and you'll see it uh, adjacent to the golf course as well. Then we get into the T3 neighborhood general. This is what I would consider a bulk zone where you would have neighborhoods outside of busier roads or or, neighbor, or commercial centers, I guess I would say. Um, you can see that quite a bit of the map is this neighborhood general. That's one of the, the more versatile zones. Again, it allows single family duplexes and then small scale multifamily as well. And it's, it's a height limit of two and a half stories on these. Uh, As we get into the T4 neighborhoods, small, these are generally located along either small uh, neighborhoods or smaller collector streets, uh, or you might see it next to some denser existing development. You might see it on single loaded streets where there's not development on the other side, and you see it surrounding major intersections as well. So I especially want to point out South Gilbert Street, McAllister Avenue, you have it along this street that would be there in the future. Uh, Again, some existing zones and then some single loaded streets. Then you get into the neighborhood medium. This is where you start to get into buildings that are up to three and a half stories. So they were really only located along major corridors and especially at major intersections. So along much of McAllister is this type of zone. You do see it on the edge of some single loaded streets in the Southeast part of the district. Uh, you do see it at the intersection of South Gilbert uh, and McAllister. Um, just basically places where we expect more intense uses to be located based on the characteristics uh, of the, the area. And then finally, the Main Street. It's really only a small commercial node, but you'll notice that it's at the heart uh, of this part of the community, with the idea being, you know, this is sort of the focal point, this in uh, the school district, and then also uh, there are neighborhood nodes where there are open zones, and those are located uh, in the heart of their respective, I would consider them, sub-districts, uh, if you will. So between them, there there are quite a few different places for neighborhood commercial uses. Um, the zones are laid out according to you know, what we were expecting in terms of the road network, in terms of uses, in terms of intensities, and in terms in terms of scale. Of development with single loaded streets, for example. So, the way that this is different is yes, the future land use map is more detailed. And yes, the dimensional standards are slightly different because a lot of it is a lot of the building bulk is primarily regulated by building types, it's not regulated by uses as much. Um, There are some opportunities to to modify or decrease lot size further uh, if they provide, for example, rear access, rear rear utility easements, or additional civic space. Um, But rear access is not required. So the way that the the lots were designed when we were looking at these zones uh, was to accommodate the buildings um, given front access and or rear access. But rear access would allow a smaller lot. Uh, Another change that and touched upon briefly in her introduction, was that parking is regulated by zone in this case. So it is slightly different because the the uh, the amount is regulated by the zone as is the location. So there are different setbacks for buildings compared to parking such that the buildings will be closer to the street than the parking with the idea being, we don't want the, the uh, street front to be uh, dominated by by garage doors or blank walls or that sort of thing. So it does require um, that parking is set back a little further. Um, this is the diagram that shows it doesn't make a lot of sense unless you're looking at the, the full zoning code, but that's the diagram that kind of shows how that parking is set back a little bit from the front facade. There are some opportunities to tweak that a little bit. So for example, uh, on a house, if you have uh, a front porch, you can bring it forward a little bit, um, but generally it's gonna be set back uh, from whatever is is occupying most of the streetscape. Uh, some other changes, as I've mentioned, are that there are frontage types and there are building types, and those are required for each design site. And then there's also the subzones, zones, uh, specifically the open zone, which require or which allows for a greater, <coughs> greater variety of uses, especially non-residential uses. So that's the, do we have any questions about the zones right off the bat? And we can also talk about it a bit more as we keep going. Um, Uh, For use standards, it's pretty similar to what you would be used to seeing. Um, So you have, you know, your standard use table. I'm just flashing this up there for the sake to have it up there. Really, you're still looking at, you have uses that are permitted, just straight up. You have uses that are provisionally allowed, so that requires staff review. Oh, Mark, you have a question.
3: It, it, yeah, it's okay. What just so the the street? Uh, if you could go back to the to the map, I guess, if you will. That yeah, there. So there's a lot of um, detail um, put together on, on on these various zones, and, you, you know, tying into all these potential streets so does does the plan say that this is where we really want the streets to be and otherwise if you know we start moving streets then we then we lose the the zones is
9: that accurate yeah so that's where those rezoning criteria come into play where you're looking at the way that zones transfer because obviously if you're you're moving streets it's going to move it and so that's where the specific criteria come into place so that when they are reconstructed, the zones are relayed upon it, it has to make sense in the same way that this makes sense. That That's really the way that those zoning criteria, that's how we developed them at least, um, was so that if things do change, which they will, I mean, we know that this isn't going to be, the this isn't an engineered plat or anything, um, then hopefully it would be reconstructed in a similar manner. Okay. So I would especially, As you're looking at things, look at those criteria, and if you don't think that that's sufficient to to make sure that we are getting the kinds of development that we want, I think that that's something that that we are definitely open to hearing your comments, your thoughts, your ideas on.
3: Okay, thank
9: you. So use table. We do still regulate uses in form-based zones. Um, Again, permitted by right, provisionally allowed, where staff reviews it and make sure that it meets some criteria. And then special exception, where it goes through a discretionary process uh, by the Board of adjustment. Uh, In most cases, you'll notice missing middle housing is permitted by right. And that would be all of the building types that are pretty much allowed here Uh, you'll notice that detached single family dwellings uh, pretty much aren't permitted after you get into those urban zones Uh, and some of the other standards a lot of them follow similarly to our existing zones except i will also point out uh, in the open zones you'll see how the commercial uses are allowed and in the main street zone you'll see how commercial uses are allowed Uh, there is an additional use called live work that i'll talk about in a little bit Um, that also allows some commercial uses that would be within certain residential zones, specifically those uh, that are T4 zones. So Anne already touched upon missing middle briefly. Again, the definition that we use in the zoning code is house-scale buildings with multiple units and walkable neighborhoods. I wanted to touch on this again because this is one of those major changes that we have. Uh, It's missing in a lot of zoning codes because usually there's, priority for single-family detached there's high priority for large multifamily, and some of those missing middle housing types uh, get lost in that uh, scramble so to speak so the way that this code looks at it is it makes them allowable uses and instead of regulating by the uses it regulates by those building types instead so i just wanted to touch upon that briefly again Uh, there are two new two new use categories one is community gardens. Uh, it really is, you know, it's what you think it is—land cultivated by multiple users uh, for plants. Essentially, uh, it is also a joint civic space type. So I'll talk about that a little bit too. Uh, it does allow some on-site retail for for produce sold on or produce that was grown on site, but most uh, structures on it are pretty limited. It's mostly going to be that green space. We did want to include this which is not included in our current zoning code because we, we don't really have any use category that would allow for this. I think a lot of it would be classified as agriculture, which I mean, it really isn't. So we wanted to make sure that there was an opportunity for community guards and that sort of use, especially as a civic space. Uh, the other that I touched upon briefly is the live workspace. So it is similar to the home businesses that we currently allow, but it, it's a slightly more intense version of that where someone lives in the unit that they also work in, um, those non-residential uses that are allowed are limited. It's similar to what we allow in the peninsula live work or live work uh, areas, um, but it, it does limit on-premises sales to goods made on, in the unit. So if you have an artist studio, for example, uh, it prohibits certain hours of deliveries, uh, certain hours for clients, uh, you can have up to three outside employees, but but if you're larger than that, then you're going to have to end up in a different area, and it does limit the amount of clients per day. So it is a more intense commercial use that could be allowed, um, but um, it does have its own restrictions that come with that, and it's really only allowed in those T4 zones and above. So you could especially imagine live work uh, being in townhome building types, for example. That that's that's the sort of uh, setup that we would see those in or would imagine those in. So in terms of differences between the use standards as they currently are and as they are, again, this incorporates missing metal. There is an accessory use table that we don't have in our current zoning code, which makes it easier to interpret some of those uses. And then there are those two new use categories. But again, uses are not the primary way that we're regulating the form of the environment. It is really by those forms in building types and frontage types. So I'm gonna be hammering that home every time I talk about it. Uh, Site standards are similar to our site development standards and it it works in tandem with them. Some of these standards like screening supplants the existing standards, some just add slight differences to them. I'm gonna kind of fly through these because a lot of them, you just have to look through them and they're just slightly different ways from what we do it now. So screening, we do regulate walls and fences, we regulate mechanical equipment. Again, these these, uh, site standards supplant our existing standards that we have. I'm not gonna go into specifics again, but generally there are height limits on walls and fences as you would expect, uh, and they're not allowed in the T4 Main Street zone and mechanical equipment has to be screened either by the building, by uh, by wall parapets, or by walls if it's an existing building that's in one of these zones. For landscaping, uh, it is a bit unusual in that it it works with in tandem with our existing standards. So that includes our current landscaping standards, Uh, there are some new parking landscaping requirements that get involved through this. There are new street tree standards that Ann touched upon, that's covered when we're talking about the thoroughfare types. Uh, and these things are checked during the site plan or building permit review process. I really only wanted to touch on plant diversity, which is probably the biggest change in that for new street trees, uh, we would only allow 5% of any species and 10% of any genus in those in trees that are that are on the sites. We expect that they are spatially distributed um, and also try to incorporate mature trees while possible. So those do work with our existing standards but it is a bit more detailed in how we want to encourage uh, biodiversity within these areas to promote sustainability. Again, shrubs and ground cover would be similar with avoiding large uh, multi-culture plantings. And then for landscaping, that's expected to be installed with development, should be maintained, it should be uh, separated from vehicular areas. So it's similar to our existing standards, it supplants some of those, uh, but generally it works pretty well with, with what we have currently. For parking and loading, like I would already mentioned, the amount and location of on-site parking is uh, listed by zone. Uh, there are also current parking standards, some of which apply. Um, and then there are new parking landscaping standards um, that are involved in this section as well. Some of the differences that you'll see <clears throat> in this code are tied to traffic minimization is what I call them. Uh, there's provisions for bicycle parking, for carpool spaces, for office uses. And then for car share spaces for large residential and office uses. Um, there are some large vehicle parking and loading standards. They're slightly different than what we currently have, but it's it's nothing that I was going to go into detail about tonight, but just to make you aware of that. And then there are some parking lot design standards and landscaping standards. So, generally, the purpose of these is to try and avoid, you know, large areas of pavement. So we have standards about breaking up larger parking areas. Uh, We wanna make sure there's pedestrian access, so sidewalks and landscaping when it's a larger area. Uh, We wanna make sure that parking spaces are accessed from an internal drive and not just from the streets. Uh, One difference is that tandem parking is allowed. So that's where you have two cars located front to back, um, but it's regulated by use. Generally, uh, it would only be allowed within one unit. So you're not gonna get stuck behind a neighbor. You'd be stuck behind whoever you left with if, if you had one of those. Um, And then landscaping, basically, the more parking there is, the more landscaping you're required to have, and tree coverage is based on the lot area, so the bigger the lot, the more trees you're required to have. So another change is that we do encourage that uh, the landscaping areas incorporate stormwater management um, to try and filter the stormwater rather than than treat it as a waste product. We can use it more for amenity purposes, um, but that is not required. Then finally in the site standards, there is a subsection on adjustments to standards. So these are administrative changes, again, that can be made to different provisions. Uh, They do require that there is a finding that is made with that. So it's similar to minor modifications that we have currently, except that there wouldn't be a notification requirement. Uh, It would be more like the the adjustments that you get in roof front crossings. So that includes things on the design site size, the amount of facade in the facade zone, the main body or wing height, which comes with building types, uh, the, the front parking setback, screen height, and then there's some flexibility that's allowed for affordable housing. And I'll discuss that when I get to the affordable housing chapter. But it does require findings that are made by staff. And most of it is to accommodate an existing feature. So the differences, again, some standards are supplanted like screening, certain parking lot standards, parking lot landscaping standards. It does create some new standards like tree diversity requirements and that traffic minimization stuff. Uh, and it also provides flexibility for form-based codes like dimensional standards or for affordable housing. But that's really all I wanted to touch on here. And then this is the final section for tonight. So I appreciate you bearing with me because I realized that this is like drinking from a, a hose. Uh, but civic space types are really a new concept for the city of Iowa City. It basically typifies open space and categorizes them and provides some standards with that. So the first two subsections are the general standards and the purpose, and then the rest of them are just the different types of civic spaces that could be selected. So how they work is A civic space could be a public open space or it could be private open space, but it has to be accessible and dedicated to public use. uh, And it would be really delineated in that subdivision process and finalized in that neighborhood plan. Again, there is the opportunity to change what the civic space type is if it meets the standards, um, but that's where it would be codified or at least uh, made public. Uh, There is required open space that city has a requirement right now uh, that land must be provided for public open space or fee in lieu be paid, that is an existing standard uh, that can tie into this, but it doesn't always tie into this. So public civic spaces that are dedicated to the city could qualify uh, as a civic space and meet that requirement that I just mentioned. But if it's a private civic space, it would not meet that requirement. Um, so those would not be able to be used for the neighborhood open space uh, dedications. In terms of what public access and visibility means, uh, it really means that that you can access it, that you you have to allow the public to access it and see it. Um, So you want to ensure that it's visible through single-loaded streets, bike and pedestrian paths, making sure that it's not tucked away behind existing development as a sort of private park, I guess you would say. Uh, It has to be accessible. Uh, And that does include for natural features um, such as creeks or other natural open spaces that are there. Um, some of those are delineated on the future land use map. Uh, some may be located later as the sensitive areas uh, plans are, are developed. And building facades must front on the civic space. So you'll notice in the image, uh, that dark gray that's looking at that small park there has to front the civic space. So that includes if it's on the same parcel, if it includes if it's across the street from it. But the idea is... We want them to look out on it and enjoy it. And we want the civic spaces to look on complete facades that, that are uh, nicely developed and have, are a front, so to speak, not just the side of a building. Uh, as far as the use of civic spaces, they're primarily intended to be gathering spaces, and they must be designed accordingly. But there might be some opportunity for commercial uses. Um, we do, I'll, I'll talk about a, a plaza that's being shown on the future land use map. Uh, There are opportunities for outdoor service areas that's privately owned especially, then you don't even need that. Um, But we also do want it to contribute to stormwater management of new development. So really using some of that green infrastructure uh, that we have, since we are looking at street trees, we're looking at things that absorb water, instead of, again, piping it into storm sewers, it would be great if we could incorporate the stormwater management into these green spaces that will exist. So we do have seven options for civic spaces. I'm not going to go into these in a lot of detail because a lot of them are pretty much what you imagine. Um, but I do encourage you to look at how the standards are laid out uh, in within the code itself and what the characteristics we're expecting are. So the first two are the greenway and the green. Greenway is basically a long linear space that would be Multiple blocks, it would be an opportunity like a boulevard, an opportunity for strolling. You could have sidewalks along it, you could have a trail down it. Uh, It could be flanked by streets, Uh, it could be flanked on one side by buildings, possibly, but it serves as a connector between open space areas. So, this this building or this uh, civic space type would be allowed in all zones except for that T4 Main Street zone. And the green is similar, but it's just your your standard open space that you think of. It's the large space available for unstructured uh, recreation. It limits the amount of buildings that can be put on site. um, And it also is allowed in all zones, but the T4 Main Street zone. The next two are the Plaza and the Pocket Park or Pocket Plaza. So The Plaza is only allowed in the T4 Main Street zone. And it's really a community focal point. You think of some of those historic areas Uh, or historic, um, you know, town centers that you get in some small Iowa towns. That's sort of what we're thinking there. Uh, It might have some structured space, but it would be primarily a gathering place. Pocket Park, uh, Pocket Plaza is a little different in that it's basically a smaller version of either the green or of the plaza, depending on the context, because it is allowed in all zones. So if it's in a T4 Main Street zone, you would expect it to be a plaza it's um you know a more formal space that serves the neighborhood uh if it's in a t3 zone or a a lower density neighborhood zone you would expect it to be some sort of small park uh, that would serve as an immediate uh park for neighborhood uh, residents the next two are the playground and community garden so The playground is pretty self-explanatory, intended for children. It's allowed in all zones, and it could be incorporated into any other civic space. So it could be in a plaza, it could be in a green, uh, but it it is its own type as well. And then community garden I already briefly touched upon uh, when we were talking about new uses, but it's intended for garden plots available to nearby residences. Uh, It's also allowed in all zones. And then finally, we have the passage, which is a little unique in that is it is both a civic space and it is also a thoroughfare type. So the city does have standards right now that allow for pedestrian passageways through blocks that can allow a uh, larger block length. This is similar to that, but it adds some more standards as to what that has to look like. So it does, it is allowed for all zones, Uh, You would expect the houses to front it, and you can see an example of it in this picture. Um, You could also think of the Ped Mall as being an urban example of of what a passage might look like. Um, But it does increase the block, the allowable block size, uh, which I'll touch upon uh, during our next meeting as to how those standards work together in the subdivision process. But it is a civic space type as well. So again, we have the future land use map. And you can see that we have, you know, a variety of civic space types that are currently shown on it. Uh, Some of them, uh, such as these ones to the east are more as neighborhood focal points, similar to some of these open zones. We have some linear spaces where there's uh, infrastructure. So there's an existing trail that's in this northeast side, uh, north of the east of South Gilbert. Uh, We're proposing another one here where there's a sewer line that exists Uh, since we have existing infrastructure there, so it makes sense to put some sort of trail there. Uh, We have some infrastructure here. We're proposing an expansion of the Sand Hill Park, uh, some buffer on the southeast side next to the store, or next to the sanitary sewer plant. Um, And then finally, like I had mentioned, uh, we are showing a plaza in the middle of the T4 Main Street zones. So it's not necessarily a plaza, uh we can't say this the civic space type that we want is a plaza uh but it is in a t4 main street zone those are limited in what they can do uh and a plaza would make sense what we'd like to see is some sort of you know outdoor seating commercial area that that these commercial uses could make use of so that's really what we're hoping for with that one so how is this different from our existing zoning code it can be public or private it is a new concept but it builds on our open space standards So it it really classifies the open space, both natural and urban open spaces, and it creates standards that goes with that. It also formalizes some of our pedestrian route uh, criteria that we have currently with the passage, uh, and it does tie stormwater management into the amenity space. It builds it into the future land use map, uh, and then through that, it is also incorporated in the neighborhood plans uh, and the other new planning processes that we have. So that is, is how the civic spaces work. And that's really what I wanted to go over tonight. Again, I understand it's a lot, so we'll have a second for for questions or we'll have some time for questions in a second, but I wanted to just talk briefly about, or do you wanna do questions first, Anne, or do you want me to go through the next steps? Well, whichever, the, go ahead and do the
2: next steps and then we can take questions.
9: Okay, so our next steps that we'll discuss next time at our uh, July 15th meeting will be the building type standards that I mentioned, some architectural element standards, the frontage types, the thoroughfare types, and then the affordable housing incentives. And then we'll also talk about some other minor changes that were required throughout the code uh, to implement this, and then some changes to the South District plan. Uh, In terms of the adoption schedule, really what we're looking at is, I didn't include July 15th, Our next meeting is when we'll talk about these things. Um, And then August 5th, the subsequent meeting, we'll have an opportunity to discuss anything as you're processing some of these, as you're looking at the zoning code a bit more. And then August 19th is when we would expect uh, to make a recommendation uh, on the form-based code and on the comprehensive plan amendment uh, to council. So that is really the goal for what we're looking for. Um, Once council takes it over, it would be they set a public hearing and then they would have three hearings of it, uh, of the code, they would only have one hearing uh, of the comprehensive plan amendment. So theoretically the comp plan amendment could be approved on September 21st. uh, And theoretically, if this schedule is followed, it doesn't have to be, but tentatively, it would be adopted potentially on October 19th. As for public comments, we do accept them throughout this entire process but we would strongly encourage that, especially public comments are provided by August 5th so that by the end of the meeting where where you're having large discussions, we would like an opportunity prior to you hearing it on August 19th to incorporate those changes into the code. Um, So if we could get comments by August 15th, then we can try to incorporate it for the version that you'll consider. Uh, If we get them after that, we'll just provide them to you uh, like we would comments on typical planning and zoning uh, item where it would be presented to you in the agenda packet as well for your consideration. So that is what we are looking at for schedule and the code. And with that, I will turn it back to the chair. Thank you for your time and any questions for me, any questions for Anne, uh, we're happy to answer, I think.
1: Thank you, Kirk. Hey, on the August 19th, when we consider adoption of the, the comprehensive plan amendment and form-based code, would that be when the public hearing would be held for the first time for the public to weigh in on this with the p Commission?
9: So they could submit written comments prior to them. And I think we will try to keep track of that and provide them to you in that August 5th meeting for consideration if we get them prior to that. Um, Otherwise, that is the formal public hearing on both of these items. So you would also be setting the public hearing on the comp plan on August fifth. But but that's relatively simple. Very good.
1: Uh, Any questions from members of the commission for Anne or Kirk?
4: I have a couple. If nobody else wants to go first. All right. First of all is parking. In the images that you showed to my eye and is you know, looking at those images quickly, it seemed like there were not near enough parking spaces for some of those big buildings. I mean, is there is some of that parking underground and I just can't see it? Or even if you have a fourplex and you have four parking spots, it doesn't seem like enough to me. So early on, Anne said that the parking standards were diminished somewhat, but what are the parking standards? Those the images just did not look like there was enough parking allotted for some of those structures, particularly the bigger ones. And the other thing is just an inquiry about parking. Is there any way to make it an incentive or, I, you know, I suppose we don't put this in the code but to incentivize a developer to include electrical charging stations which I think would be very attractive you know for someone you know 20 years from now 10 years from now we're going to have a lot more electric vehicles around and if we could incentivize that in some way it would I think be beneficial for the Developers. So those are my parking comments. The other thing, I'll just put all my questions out there and staff can answer what makes sense. I still am a little fuzzy about the whole design sites and what that means. I thought I was understanding it and then Ann showed the picture of the big square that was divided into three squares or three rectangles. And so does the developer divide that or does who divides that? And I assume that if those three things have single family homes on them, maybe one with the granny suite or whatever, that they own the property that they sit on. So I'm still fuzzy on that, but I will try to educate myself more and um, Finally, the gathering places. I think all those concepts are great. It just feels like maybe there's not enough of them in there. I, this feels like a very dense development. And overall, I really like it. Um, but no plans for a city park. I assume if it, you talk about public, it means the city maintains it and takes care of it. and. Private, Obviously, someone private does. Okay. Civic spaces, design sites, and parking. Those were my comments.
9: Well, I can touch briefly on parking. Some of this, if you would like, we could look, we could do a comparison of some sort for you at a future meeting. But where you're looking at the parking standards, we'll just pop into the zoning code here. And for each zone, This is section 14.2H2. Okay. For each zone, there's a subsection seven called parking and you'll see the minimum standard here. So for example, for the T3 neighborhood edge, the studio or up to two bedrooms would require one parking space per unit minimum. Three or more would require two parking spaces per unit. For commercial or non-residential uses, no parking would be required up to 1,500 square feet with the assumption being it would use the on-street parking. Um, if it's greater than that, then their parking standards start to come into play. Um, it, it is less than our current standards, but part of what we're looking at is these are minimum requirements. So really we're looking at, you know, what are ways that we can try to encourage walkable denser development. The, these are the minimums that we think would be required for a unit but as the developer if you think hey i know my market they they want two parking spaces for every bedroom they can still do that there's there's nothing that would prevent them from doing that it's just that the minimum would be less than our current code so okay. if we ratchet up you know well, you have the t-
4: to picture where you just were just you like right. go back there, like, you know, the big building there in the middle, those buildings, that's a lot of people gonna live in there and there's four parking spots.
9: Well, if it's four parking spots, that means it's four one bedroom units. That's what it would be. Well, that's a huge
4: building for four bedrooms. So, okay.
9: All right, thank you. Um, in terms of design sites, the reason we have design sites are, let's say you have an entire, you, you have a large parcel that's 100 feet and you know that you can either fit four duplexes or you can fit five single-family homes. The design sites allow you the flexibility of not platting those individual sites, and instead you can go back and say, hey, I think that, I will do a mix of duplexes and single family homes that would fit site. And you could kind of tweak those as you go. Re- realistically, what it means is most people are probably still gonna plat parcels like they currently do. They'll say that this is for this multifamily building. Um, but if they want some flexibility in the future and the parcel that they platted for multifamily building let's say they wanna put two single family homes instead, they don't have to subdivide it again. Instead, they would just use design sites and, and deal with it that way.
4: But well, then how does the individual who's purchasing it know that's their property? I don't.
9: Well, you'd have to do a condo, they would figure out the legality of it. They'd have to do a condo regime and that's why we would still expect most people to probably develop using our typical okay. parcel system.
4: Okay, so, so I'm, my assumption was right, that if you do that, then you don't, you don't own the land.
9: You it's like a, own, Or you might own a part of the land. It it depends on how it would be structured privately. But that's kind of beyond what the city's interest would be. Sarah, okay. I don't know if you can speak to this in a bit more detail. I don't think I'm doing it justice.
4: Well, I think that really helped me what you said right there. Because that was my, I didn't quite understand how people could own the land
8: if, I yeah. You know, Yeah, it'd just be like a condo association, potentially, or the owner is also the developer and continues to own all of the units, you know.
9: Okay. And another way to think about it is similar to our planned overlay process, you know, sometimes you have all of those buildings are on a single lot and you have to put invisible lot lines that you can judge the standards. It's similar to those invisible lot lines, except in this case, you can kind of shuffle them around depending on what the market forces seem to be for a given development, as long as you're meeting the frontage mix standards, the the dwelling type standards, uh, all of those sorts of things.
4: Okay, thank you. And then the last question was about the civic space. It just didn't feel like there was enough of it, but is there any plan? Through the park, or
9: so, so that's a right now. I believe we do make a distinction on the future land use map about public versus private open space and kind of what we're thinking for those areas. One of them would be a small public park, uh, the one that's kind of in the central east side, central. Um, you want to bring up the, the yeah. map, Kirk? Uh, So you can see that the public civic spaces are that darker green so over here for example would probably be a small public park but i don't know how much time you spend in the south district but there are actually a lot of park amenities down here that's that's one of the special selling points you have terry trueblood that's just over south gilbert street you have open space from from the prairie you have weatherby park right here and then you have the the Sycamore Trail or the Sycamore Greenway that goes all along here.
4: I'm thinking about playground kind of stuff. I suppose there's a playground at the school, but for families with young children.
9: Yeah, but. and if you're talking about playgrounds, that really comes down to, it would be up to the person that is developing the civic space. Cause we do not, we do not distinguish which civic spaces should be where or which civic space types should be where. That would be up to the developer um, ideally, they would be able to, to work through, as they're looking at their design process, they could work through that.
2: And we did we did talk, talk to the Parks and Rec Department about park needs in this area. And they felt that a playground was really needed east of the Greenway. So that's why we located, um, that's why we identified this area there Mm-hmm. as a, as a, a public public park that will become a playground, the the parks department felt that west of the Greenway that um, the playground needs could be yeah. met with existing facilities.
9: Yeah, and, and specifically also, Weatherby is, and-
2: is that,
4: that Eastern part, I mean, Grantwood School is pretty much north of there or, or yes north of there, right? Not too far north of Grantwood School. Yeah. Like it would sort of be in the corner where your your key is for the map up in there somewhere.
9: Yeah and I can pull up an aerial if that would help contextualize this because this will have actual street names on it. If you'll just give me a moment. So, existing development, this is Weatherby Park. Right. The new area would be, there's the school. And then you have this area is basically what we're looking at. And then some of this area up here.
2: And can you point out Grant Wood there, Kirk? Yeah, right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
3: That was very bizarre because nothing he was pointing at and describing I saw at the same time. <laughs> I know I know where it is. I know where is so um, I just had a, a a few comments that I little notes I wrote down to myself. Um, uh, one of the you know one of the things that I'm that I will probably be discussing um, is the affordable housing piece and the fee and loo piece. Um, I'm I'm personally done with the fee and loo concept because everybody's using it. And if we want to get affordable housing truly scattered throughout the community and incorporated into these areas, we got to do away with that because every developer uses it and they don't build affordable units in their developments. So that's something I'm going to harp on a lot through this process, I suspect. Um, I had an interesting observation when you first use the word multimodal transportation and looking at these spaces, I know that is the You know, I know a lot of these things in our stuff in the downtown area, we talk about a lot less parking with the idea that they'll use other transportation sources. And that concerns me in light of the fact that the transportation department is cutting bus routes uh, today. I think it's the effective date of it. Um, You know, so we're cutting bus routes, but then we're creating a whole development, a whole area that's going to, that theoretically would rely more on buses. So I think that's, I hope you're having that conversation with the transportation department and with the city council as far as funding the transportation department, because I think there, there seems to be a, a dichotomy there. Um, I am, I'm still concerned about this map. The map shows very distinct zones in very distinct places. And, and, and from my experience with developments of, especially in this large of an acreage of land, um, rarely do they end up that way. And so, you know, if, if all of a sudden we don't have those streets there, we're not going to have that use there based on this map. And so I would like to hear much more about what happens in those as, as things change, because we know what we do today and what what hap- what's going to be done five years from now are distinctly different uh, uh, issues. And so I'd, I want to I hear more about that throughout this process. Um, And then I just had a a quick question. I don't know if, um, you know, how, if anything, this ties into the needs for adjustments in rental, in the rental codes. Um, Does, you know, can you still theoretically rent any of these as long as it meets the rental code? Or uh, are there things here that discourage or encourage rental units? And I guess, I I don't know. I don't know if that's even relevant to the conversation. But those are just some things that notes I made through tonight and, Um, I look forward to, you know, having more conversations in the week in the couple sessions to
1: come. Any other questions from commission members for staff on this presentation tonight? I
0: have I have a few comments, too. Um, I agree with Susan about the electric um, vehicle stations. I think that would be great. Um, I also I'm a little little concerned. I mean, I really like that you're reducing the parking requirements, but I would like to see how you're complementing or encouraging um, manpower transportation. Um, More um, parking for bicycles or wider streets for bike lanes or... um, What what else are you doing? Um, Related, oh, regarding to the trees, I would like to see, um, are you requiring the use of native species to reduce the use of water? And the same for shrubs, for landscape? And also, are you encouraging the use of local materials that don't require transportation for landscape? And regarding the green spaces, I also agree with Susan that it seems that are not enough. And also um, the green, greenway, I think that's what you mentioned. Greenway is allowed in some of the zones, but it's not a requirement. So, what would happen if a developer chooses not to have any um, any of those green spaces that you are designing, right? Because so they could choose not to have any, then it would be really like a very dense um, spaces. Um, and then, oh, and then for the for the storm water management. Would that be something like, for for example, permeable um, permeable pa- um, pavement? My my main concern with um, many of these things is like some are um, suggestions, but not requirements. And then I worry that what will happen if nobody chooses to do that. Um, and also, I agree with Mark about the parking the 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 transportation, public tra- 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 transportation. I would like to hear much more about that. I would like to maybe see, um, yeah, just like more specific design about, like I said, parking uh, bicycle lanes or how are we encouraging people to walk or where would the city put like um, bus um, stops, right? Um, it would have to be, if, if we're, um, if we're hoping that this will be a very sustainable area where people would walk everywhere or use bikes or um, you know skateboards or whatever, um, but we have to provide like the um, design or comfortability for people to be able to use those things. Um, and I'm oh, I'm also worried about what Phoebe said about the commercial inside the neighborhoods because I think. That's another thing if people are we're, not, we're hoping that people won't have cars, use less cars, but then they have to drive, you know, really far away to do their groceries. How is that going to work. Um, those are my comments. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Additional comments or questions for Commission members for regarding the presentation tonight.
3: I, it's a, I enjoyed the presentation. I thought you did a, a, a good job of giving us that overview and, and starting to break it down. I, I, it's a massive amount of information to, to take in. And uh, I appreciate the fact we're going to have a few chances to do
1: that. All right. Um, last call for any questions. I, I, this is going to be before us several times in the future here, so um, we all have plenty of opportunities. Hey, Dave, would it be possible to that um, URL you you posted earlier, Kirk, just to send that to us so we can do some research or just do some reading? Absolutely, I'd appreciate that. Just whenever you get around to it, We've got a couple of weeks, I'd appreciate it. Okay, any other questions or comments? Okay, hearing none. Um, and item number seven, discussion on returning to in-person meetings.
2: I just have a a couple updates for the commission. And I think I've told you some of this via email already. Um, The governor's emergency declaration allowing us to meet virtually has been extended through July 25th. And it is expected that at that point it will not be extended. Um, So we have one more chance to meet virtually, is my guess, which would be the July 15th. And I know there's been some interest in in from the commission to meet back in person and i guess i would like to request that we have um that july 15th meeting as a virtual meeting so our consultants can participate um more easily um, Mar- martine is here tonight and i think at the july 15th meeting tony will also be able to attend
1: that seems pretty reasonable to me unless somebody has an objection to that In interesting, I believe I saw today that Iowa City for persons 12 years age and up, we're at 69.8 or 69.9% vaccination rate. So we're almost at that 70%. So um, Johnson County is doing really well.
2: That's great to hear.
1: Any more discussion on item number seven? Uh, No. I thought you were going to say something, Mark. I was, oh, oh,
3: I, I was, but it doesn't relate to item number seven, I suppose. <laughs> All right. It looked like you were thinking hard. so I just, yeah. <laughs> I just want to know who's joined us at Mark's house. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, item number eight, consideration of meeting minutes to June 17, 2021. If anybody has any uh, major additions or corrections, uh, would you please speak up and point those out? And if not, if we could have a motion for approval.
6: Move approval. I'll
1: okay. second. I think uh, science is first for motion and the second, I heard a couple of voices, but I heard Mark Nolte specifically yep. so the two marks for the motion and second. Uh, discussion? Okay. Uh, motion second. If all in, appro- all in favor of approving the minutes from June 17th, signify by saying aye. 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 aye aye those opposed signify by saying nay hearing none approve seven zero and planning and zoning information
2: we don't have any updates for the commission tonight
1: all right um i'd personally like to welcome uh, maria on behalf of all the other planning and zoning commissioners um i feel like uh it's exactly what kirk said we're being fed information through a fire hose so i'm sure it's overwhelming uh, trust me Eventually, it'll all start to make sense. Mm-hmm. The learning curve is very steep, steep for PNZ, but uh, you got time, and so don't ever panic. And the staff is awesome about answering questions. So uh, it, it all comes with you at time. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here.
3: Thank
0: you. Thank you. I, was, I was going to comment that
1: she, I think she had
3: some of the best questions for a rookie I've ever heard. at the <laughs> <laughs> My first meeting, I was scared to
1: even talk, so <laughs> I was pretty impressed. <laughs> All right, uh, hearing any other planning zoning information from members of the Commission?
5: Um, I will not be in attendance next meeting and I can't Zoom. Well, I'll try to Zoom, but I'm going to be up in, uh, in the middle of nowhere.
1: Well, if nowhere doesn't have Wi-Fi, we'll miss you.
5: I don't know if it does. I've never, I haven't been there in a long time. <laughs>
1: All right. Thank you, Phoebe. So we'll just note that Martin will most likely not be able to attend our next meeting.
5: the, and... in the August meeting, I won't be in town, but I could attend either virtually or
2: so I guess that I forgot to mention that that's the other update at this point there's not going to be any hybrid once we go back to in person there's not going to be any hybrid meetings. Okay, but
9: they will and be recorded so you can watch it at least
2: And I, I think
4: but even if there's not a hybrid with zoom. You can still participate to call
2: in. Yeah, exactly. I think they allow calling in. Yeah, I
4: thought
8: we I
2: mean,
4: because the city has that.
5: I thought we confirmed only one person can call. I can look into that, but if court. you want to call in in yeah. August, I think we can arrange that. I'm just wondering too, if, if there are members of the public that that want to participate, uh, but can't,
2: you know? So I think it's just meeting. something that we would um, provide to commission members. Got it.
1: And hearing no other comments, our planning and zoning information, a motion for adjournment? I move for adjournment. So I Thousand. saw um, Craig and then Townsend second. Does mm-hmm. that sound right? That's, that's fine. All right, motion by Craig for adjournment, second by Townsend. Just writing up some notes here. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye.
4: Aye. 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 Those
1: opposed, signify by saying nay. Hearing no nays, we're adjourned. Thank you, everybody. Happy
0: 4th of July.